0: What's going on welcome to land podcast hope you guys had a excellent Christmas this week we have a great episode with Flint Coke and Flint has been a previous guest here on the show in 2022 and a lot has changed since then so we get to catch up on what he's been up to over the last year some of strategies that he has changed when it comes to investing in real estate there is some great high level advice and some great beginner advice here in this episode so I get a message or email quite often asking, should I buy a multifamily farm or, excuse me, should I buy a multifamily property first and have that help pay for a recreational parcel or just buy the recreational parcel? And I always say it depends on what the person's goals are, but Flint has done the strategy of buying multifamily properties in order to help pay for recreational ground. So you get to hear his strategy on that. You also get to hear some projects that are worth doing, some projects that aren't worth the effort or money in his opinion, some lessons he'd learned over the years. And you guys are really gonna enjoy this episode. I wanna say thanks to Flint for taking the time to record this. And in case you're brand new here, the goal is very simple. It is to help 100 people buy their first farm. There's three ways to be included on this list. Number one, if you're looking in the state of Illinois, in an area that I'm familiar with, I'm more than happy to help you out as a buyer's agent. Number two, if you wanna get connected with someone that I would consider doing business with, I'm happy to make an introduction. It is your decision from there and number three if you just simply learn something here from the podcast i want to add you to the list of 100 last week we actually had three people added to the list so like i said we're inching closer and closer to that 100 mark and i cannot thank all of you enough i greatly appreciate it this has been such a fun project and let's go ahead and get right into this week's episode with flint here we go flint welcome back to the land podcast how's it going
1: good good thanks for having me jake
0: yeah, it's, uh, it's a pleasure here. I know we've we've stayed in touch here uh, since we kind of got connected here. And when we posted your podcast, I can't remember what number it was off the top of my head, but I had a lot of people reach out and that episode resonated with a lot of different people. And uh, and so I'm, I'm excited to have you back here. But before we get into all that, go ahead and reintroduce yourself.
1: Uh, my name is Flint Coke. Uh, I've been buying and selling land for probably about the last five or six years now. And uh, happy to uh, share what little bit I know on Jake's podcast.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so you live in Missouri, right?
1: Yeah, kind of East Central Missouri.
0: East Central Missouri. And um, that first episode kind of broke down some of your first farms that you bought and everything else. And we'll kind of revisit some of those things. But I wanted to just dive right into things. So right now someone's listening to this podcast and you've, you've bought some parcels over the years. And you also have a a, a big um, multifamily portfolio as well. So just explain that here a little bit. And then I'm going to ask a question of, of what you would tell someone. That wants to buy the first piece
1: uh so yeah when i was younger i started a tree business and i did that for about five or six years and it made pretty good money but i realized i wanted to get out of it so me and my wife started buying rental properties to get passive income to be able to get into something else and we hit the rental what, properties hard for what year was, what years. year
0: did what year did you buy your first rental property
1: um it was i guess 18 probably 2018 okay yep so in the last five years we bought about 200 rental properties And in the same time I was buying and reselling farms to help pay for the down payments to buy more properties. Mm -hmm. And then, so we had about 200 rental properties the first of this year. And then first year rates going up. And I told my wife, we'd bought about 500 acres in Missouri that we're wanting to keep and I told my wife, I said, let's sell some of these rental properties and pay them farms off so we're not Mm -hmm. stuck making payments all the time. And Mm -hmm. so we listed, we listed probably 30 or 40 units or more probably 50 units and like almost all winter our contract the first day i wow. couldn't believe what people were paying for it so that's what we've done this year we've sold probably 40 was that or 50 the, rental units but,
0: was that kind of trickled throughout the year or did you list all those 30 or 40 kind of all at once in and what was that time frame
1: yeah we sold a 30 unit apartment complex the first of the year and then we've sold maybe 20 more since then mm-hmm. so that's a lot once i yeah once i see what people are paying i was like Keep selling yeah, them. I'll keep selling. Them, you know, because a lot of them had doubled in value. You know, mm-hmm. I'd fix some of them up and raised rents, and so we sold enough now to pay off the two farms in Missouri we wanted to keep, and I had a farm in Illinois, but we got it under contract to sell. So, mm-hmm. kind of getting rid of some bad debt and uh, getting some bigger lines of credit on the properties we're paying off to be able to do more in the future.
0: How nervous were you last year to seeing rates continuing to rise? I guess. You know it's December twenty second today, but as those rates climbed, were you getting nervous, or did you have felt like you had enough financial moat that you're like, we're still good because you had so much equity and all these parcels? You're like, man, this kind of eats cash flow.
1: Yeah, I felt good about what we had. I wasn't worried about us just because uh, we were sitting pretty good. We had pretty good cash flow on the rentals. I was more worried about what the market's going to do a year from now on high rates. Nobody's buying. How mm-hmm. how soft is the market going to get? But it's done probably better than I ex- expected. Yeah. yeah, I think
0: that's yeah, I think that's kind of a general consensus from everyone, and I think there's there was a lot of uncertainty from from everyone, and I, I still think there's a level of uncertainty right now if you ask enough people. But um, it, this I want to get your perspective on this too because <clears throat> everyone's assuming and everyone's assuming rates are going to drop here in March when the Fed has their next meeting. But yeah, it's almost getting priced into the market before it really does happen, and I'll be curious to see what really what really does transpire. But I think. You know, a couple months ago people were nervous about interest rates and now it my perception of conversation i've, I've had is people are like well rates are going to drop and you know things are going to pick up again and what do you think about that
1: yeah they may be doing it more just for consumer confidence too, just to get by side i know i talked to my banker yesterday and he's like yeah you know we're excited about next year we're wanting to do a bunch of loans and we're ready to you know because they've been kind of conservative for the last year or two so it's good to see them excited i think it's you know i think whatever rate drop we can get will definitely help. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if this is the bottom as far I mean, it's you not think, really went down any, but, but I don't yeah. see it coming down any, you know, if, if prices didn't really drop smart. with the high rates, I don't see it, you know, changing a whole lot. I have, I have <laughs> a lot more single family homes and stuff like that because I think the housing shortage is going to be a big, a big thing in the future. So I just assume be into a lot of real estate there. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of yeah. my play too. Yeah, that's it,
0: it. Man, sometimes I wish we knew the answers for sure, because it make decisions a lot easier. But um, but I think that's that could be uh, very true. And I think there's some there's so much uncertainty in this election year. And and you know that I think that maybe has people stop making decisions sometimes throughout the year, because you know, whether whatever aisle of whatever side you are on the aisle, you're still kind of waiting for the election. So I, I think 2024 should be really fun and interesting. But I guess diving into some of these things and you you have a lot of different experience in different forms of real estate, but I'm calling you up and I'm saying, hey, Flynn, I want to buy my first farm. I have twenty to fifty thousand dollars saved up, maybe twenty, let's say twenty five to seventy five thousand dollars saved up. I have a just a house, and would you suggest that person? Because I get this question all the time: Should I buy a multifamily or like a duplex or something first, and have that cash flow, and then save up again and buy a farm, like a recreational parcel, like something? I don't know, 20 to 40 acres or just go buy the farm first? Or is it just person specific on what their skill sets and goals are?
1: Yeah, it's going to be person specific because if you love the stock market, you're probably better off investing in stock market and then investing in land. But like I enjoy you know, investing in housing and apartments, so it's easy for me. So if you want to do rentals, then I would definitely do rentals before the land because the rentals, you can buy them, uh, put renters in them, fix them up a little bit and then refinance them, get most of your money back. And then you got your property, you know, going up in value, the renters paying it down. But if you go and buy your land first, you're gonna be stuck in that payment. You're probably not gonna do both. So I would do the investment property first and then do the land second. You know,
0: and if I remember correctly, you kind of you guys bought a bigger piece and then you end up selling that parcel to go buy more multifamilies. Is that is my memory right on that?
1: Yeah, that's how we started. Like I mean today. yeah, yeah, that's how we started. We had a little piece paid off, so we sold it and got rentals and then while we we're buying rentals, I was also flipping land. Mm-hmm. So, but that's what I would do. I would buy the investment properties first and then, mm-hmm. and then put the land off a little while. But for us, you know, buying the rental properties first, we've been able to pay off what we're keeping from the rentals, mm-hmm. you know, cause to me it's easy to sell 50 units, pay off my bad debt and just go buy 50 more units to replace them. Mm-hmm. Then if you didn't have the units to sell it all.
0: Well, so you categorize bad debt as, is this land payments with low income on those parcels? yeah yeah okay
1: yeah yeah And yeah, i mean a, you, yeah. i mean if you, as long as you buy it right you know if you buy it right and do work on the properties we all know that's going to do well for you but it's more risky of course than having a, a property with the renter and making the payments you know paying mm-hmm. all the bills for you
0: yeah so. yeah definitely two different two different beasts and this would be interesting so you've bought in both forms of uh, real estate assets asset classes which one do you think is more competitive buying land or buying multifamilies?
1: They're pretty close to the same. Really? I can probably get better deals on multifamilies, probably. Land land's tough to find deals. I don't know. I mean, I've gotten a good name when I was buying a lot of rental properties. I gotten a good name for buying. So people would just call me and say, Hey, I want to sell this. And they and and so I was getting a lot of deals for a while like that. Land, it's tough. You know, I'll go four to six months right now, like watching four to five states before I'll pull yeah. a trigger on a really good deal. You know, so mm-hmm. it can take a while to find a good deal of land sometimes.
0: Yeah. And I think that I I, I agree with that four to six months. And I'm not looking for states, but it's, uh, I think there's some, there's a silver lining there though, because I think you, you're, you know, you're saying four to six months, not really that long of a time. When you think of someone that has been saving up to buy a piece, maybe they've been working on getting in a position to buy something for two years or three years to try to find the right piece for four to six months really isn't that long. But yeah, I think there's some people that end up waiting two to five years, and they never buy anything because yeah. they're like, Well, you know, that's, you know, that's way too yeah. much because they can remember when they first started looking, how do you combat yeah. that? I, I'm sure you're savvy enough to say like, okay, this is this is the market base." in 2018, for example, and like now in 2023 2024, like, this is like, the floor or this is where things should be. Have you have you had a look back in the rearview mirror? And have you had any regrets?
1: Uh, yeah, of course I missed millions of dollars by not buying more, you <laughs> yeah, right. know, but we didn't know, <laughs> we didn't know the stuff across the state with doubling value either. Uh-huh. So it was usually, I didn't buy more cause I didn't have the money to buy more. You only do yeah. what you can. Yeah. Uh, but, but the last few years you couldn't have messed up. So. Yeah. And know, so, it's, it's you know, with good. that being
0: said, with that being said, cause I, I do agree with that. Like these last couple of years have been, uh, if you bought at a good time, like you, you it would be, it would have been really hard to mess up. And so, going yeah. forward, do you think that is just the world of real estate, or do you think that people should be a little bit more cautious if if the market is shifting? Because right now, to your point, you still were you were still able to sell your real estate portfolio very quickly and and fast. You know, re- regardless of what all the headlines said throughout twenty twenty three.
1: Yeah, I think like I don't I don't look at anything that's I don't wait for appreciation. I buy everything and force appreciate it. So I'm going to buy something thousand mm. dollars an acre undervalued. So I don't really worry too much about what's going to happen. I just get a really good buy, and I can turn it. In. And if I want to hold it two or five, two to six years, whatever it is, and enjoy it and make more money, I do. But I buy everything for a great price, and uh, I don't really worry about anything else. You know, I just, I just get a really good deal, do work to it, and get it for it's a lot nicer property than when when I bought it. Mm-hmm.
0: and so you so, so you're focusing on value add and i know last time we talked about some things that you that you do in order to to do value add on that but refresh my memory of what are what are you have a let's just say an 80 acre parcel it's 60 acres timber 20 acres of rough tillable and you know it, it had been in the same family for let's say a long time and it ha- this, there hasn't really been much done to it so like it's just it is what it is like there isn't There hasn't been much infrastructure or improvements. It's a very raw piece of 80 acres, but what's one of the first projects you're going to consider to do? Uh,
1: hopefully it's got like water on it, like a lake, a pond or a river, something like that. And I would clean that up. If you can get an access down the river or around a pond, clean it up. Uh, I do that first, obviously put in food plots, uh, probably put up a corn feeder if you can and start getting as many deer pitches as you can, uh, put a walking trail around the property, just a chainsaw. You can do a lot of work with a chainsaw and make it better. And stuff like that will definitely help, but my value add, honestly, is just buying it right. Like, mm-hmm. if if you just watch the market hard, like I watch, I look every day, probably an hour a day, every day for the last ten years. Like I don't miss mm-hmm. a day, and you can get some great deals just by really bad realtors or people that really come down way more than anybody thought they would. Mm-hmm. So I buy it just on getting really good deals. And yeah. I mean, I just look online. I'm not doing anything special. Mm-hmm. I'm not direct mailing or anything. I just look for great deals. I make offers. Stupid offers sometimes, but uh, when somebody comes down 80,000, you know, you don't have to do much value add there to have a really good deal on something.
0: Mm -hmm. How, um, so let's talk about okay, let's walk through that type of example. There was a piece that was listed, it's been on the market for I mean, a lot of them are six month listing agreements, so it's been listed for for five months and 25 days, just for this fun, fictitious uh, example and you think it's priced, let's say 10% over market, obviously you want to get it maybe 10 to 15% below what you think it might be worth. Do you just write an offer and do you add a letter? Do you add any uh, information for the agent to go back? Or like, what's that dialogue like of like, this is what we're offering and it's a firm offer.
1: Usually it's just a basic offer, you know, when closing a month, uh, we'll have financing, bank financing and we'll just make the offer. If that counter comes back like halfway down, if they meet me in the middle, I know they're probably gonna make a deal like, 70 percent of the time they'll probably come the rest of the way mm-hmm. so i'll counter just a little bit higher and see not always but i just we got a farm in illinois i bought three years ago it was a terrible listing um it was you didn't even know where at in the state it was it had no aerial all it had was a couple of deer pictures on the ground and a picture of a tree and that was it and i'd yeah. seen it and it was fair price but no crazy deal but it had a really good pinch point in the middle once i got the realtor to send me i was like well it could be a really cool farm decent part of the state it was the southern part Mm-hmm. And we bought it, but they came down about $80,000 and they'd been on the market for almost two years. So I was like, oh, they'll come down. So I offered, they come halfway. I said, no, I'm still here. They came down and, and we bought it. So I knew I had it way cheaper than it was probably worth yeah. and it had really big timber. So <clears throat> a buddy of mine, I showed it to him and we went halves on it and we held it three years. And uh, we, it wasn't the prettiest farm. It was like a river bottom farm. It was all wood. We logged the front half. And so it didn't look real pretty. And we made about 60,000 log, in, but we just had it about three years, shot about nine bucks off it. And the hunting was really good. You guys good.
0: did really good and down we, there. Yeah. You guys did really good. Yeah, we there. did.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I killed a really big one down there this year and the hunting was great. And I say, I put out a lot of trail cameras, just cheap ones on video mode. And put out another, I had hundreds of pictures on files on my laptop and I killed that big buck down there this year, put on Facebook, a realtor I knew down there called me he's like, Hey, do you want to sell a farm? I said, yeah, I think there's going two, uh, we're looking to make our money on it and leave. And uh, he's mm-hmm. like, okay, I got somebody to buy it. And sure enough, he showed it and they bought it for what we asked for. it. And it was just, that was just kind wow. of a typical deal. We lowballed them. You know, it was a place that the realtor did on a terrible job listing. It sat on mm-hmm. market a couple of years. People wanted to get out of it. So they came down and we put food plots in, ran trail cameras. We didn't do much besides put food plots in and ran cameras. And the markets went up, but we did really well on that property. You know, it was almost 300 acres and we made over a thousand dollars an acre. We flipped it. Mm-hmm. So a place like that, if you can just buy it right, do work to it you can do really well when you go to sell it, you know?
0: Yeah. And you got to enjoy it for those three years too. And, you know, you guys shot a bunch of good bucks and and had a lot of fun there too. I mean, that's, uh, you know, whatever that value is worth too. I mean, that's something worth, worth considering
1: (laughs) for sure. Yeah. It's definitely better than run around on public land. I know that. So
0: Yeah. And I think, I think sometimes when people hear, hear that, they just think that couldn't happen to me or like, that's too good to be true or you got lucky. And that is a very, to me, like hearing that, like if you do enough due diligence, like, would you say that's attainable for anyone that's willing to put in the work and, and learn the market and put an offer in?
1: Oh, yeah, I do it multiple times a year, but that's where it comes down to looking every day, uh, every every day of the year, you know. And so eventually, you know, I bought, I buy three or four deals like that a year, you know, they're just underway underpriced or a bad listing. Or I'll go look at it and realize it has a really nice feature. Like I bought one farm, it was in the middle of the market it was not a deal at all, but it had a beautiful view and access to a really nice river. And the realtor had never even went there to take pictures. So you didn't even know that. And then, so I bought it for 3,000 acre and resold over half of it for 6,000 acres just because it had such nice, it was such a nice property, you know, the realtor didn't even. So me just going and putting boots on the ground and checking out this farm mm-hmm. really showed me how much of a nicer place it was. Mm-hmm. So just doing the work, looking and looking online all the time and looking at properties, you can really find some real gems out there if you're hustling and looking for them.
0: Was that, was that Missouri?
1: yeah that was only about an hour from my house in missouri
0: gotcha and so and i have uh, the, you know to to kind of formulate my thoughts here i have two different thoughts first one being is i think there's a lot more there's a lot more uh, sophisticated agents i really think so like the ones that are actually marketing these parcels well do you think that these type of opportunities are going to continue to degree de- decrease as not to pick on any agents but like a lot of times they're older and they they're not up on up on a lot of the technology and how to market a property do you think that can that ages out eventually or do you think that there's always just going to be the bottom level of marketing on these parcels and, and there'll be these opportunities or what do you think about that
1: yeah i think there will probably always opportunities because somebody's always got a, a brother-in-law's friend that they're just going to have him use yeah. something that guy well he <laughs> hasn't really sold any real estate in five years but he has his license so he doesn't but like yeah. that piece i bought that was on real for you that was the guy listed was the owner of a huge real estate company. Like he mm-hmm. should have done a better job, you know. But yeah, yeah, I like I like buying them from uh, realtors that do a sloppy job if they even go out there and then sell them through realtors that do a great job. You know that mm-hmm. in itself, you know, mm-hmm. you can really do well on a property.
0: Yeah, which is even crazy that just posting a deer that you shot and then someone reached out because I, you know, I, I have buyers all the time too. Like if you find something like this, let me know, and then I always go through my mental yeah. catalog. Like, well, who do I know that would potentially sell, and and what do they have? And try to match that up too so i think as a buyer as a buyer it's not a bad idea to call agents and say hey this is what i'm looking for i'm very serious you know i've been pre-approved or i know i can get pre-approved for x amount and this is what i'm looking for if you find something let me know because a lot of times something like that could happen and i'm sure they got that piece in illinois they're probably ecstatic to have it now and it's just a win-win for
1: everyone yep yep absolutely it's a really nice property and they'll be really happy with it
0: yeah so what um, you mentioned the four four states. So I have to guess. I mean, I think I could probably guess the four states. I don't know if you want to share the four states you're looking at every day, but um, uh, if you want to share that, that's fine. Otherwise, I can guess, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, and you can lie to me if you want to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I I look at Missouri where I live, and then Illinois, is Iowa, and Kansas. Yeah.
0: Okay. Out of those four states, what has you most excited? Obviously, Missouri is nice because you know the backyard and you know that market probably the best. But what? out of those four what what has you most excited for let's say the next 10 years
1: uh i'm really looking into kansas hard i just bought 500 acres there and nice. my opinion with that is like you want to buy a good hunting farm in illinois it's probably gonna cost you around like four to five thousand acre north missouri same thing four to five thousand an acre iowa you know it's even more than that six 000, seven thousand an acre but kansas you know i picked up 500 acres for under two thousand an acre And it it looks phenomenal. You know, I didn't shoot any deer on it this year, but I've got several 140s, 150s in another year, you know, it's, it's really going to be good. And for buying a property like that for 2000 acre in Kansas, in my opinion, is one of the top three in the nation for producing big deer and you can get landowner tags. So it's guaranteed, unlike Iowa. And, you know, I can sell that farm for high twos, do really well on it one day after I hunt it and enjoy it Mm -hmm. and do really well on it. And that's still pretty affordable in my opinion you you might have to drive farther you know kansas mm-hmm. is away from a lot of people but that's where i'm i'm looking to harder now than i was before yeah for just sure. it's more affordable
0: yeah and that's a that's a theme i've had with a lot of conversation like a lot of guys are that same dialogue that you just shared and, and I, I would agree with that what if you don't mind like walk through how you found that deal what made you want to buy it and and anything else because depending on what part of Kansas that is, we just had Jeff Simpson on here. He's an agent in Kansas and he kind of gave us the one-on-one on the state because it's very diverse. And it's, there's a, Iowa to Kansas is, and depending on what part of the state's drastically different. Missouri to Kansas, I think is quite a bit different depending on what part of the state. So what, what was your due diligence process? How'd you find the deal and what made you want to buy it?
1: So I've been looking at Kansas for years now. Um, Never bought there. I've hunted there a lot, never bought there. So I knew the market really well. You know, I was looking for something around 2000 acre or less. And I felt like I could do really good on that. I was coming back from Alaska and got on a plane and finally got service from hunting and started scrolling through land watch. And I seen this farm and it was just a couple pictures from the ground. It was cedars, tall prairie grass, and it was basically listed as pasture. And it was about mm-hmm. 2000 an acre. And as soon as I got service, I called the realtor and he just listed that day. And uh, he's like, yeah, I got a bunch of calls. It'll sell quick. And I said, I imagine it will. It's in the South Central. It's by Medicine Lodge. So mm-hmm. Central Estate, Unit 16. Unit 16 is a pretty good unit. Yep. So I thought it'd be pretty good. I asked him about deer and he's like, oh yeah, you can kill 160s, 170s here if you just mm-hmm. don't shoot the 140s. And so well, that sounds good. So I said, I'll tell you what, I'll put a full price offer on it. Uh, just contingent on me looking at it. He's like, okay. So mm-hmm. drove out there as soon as I got home, looked at it, it, looked just like I thought. With all the mappings, map stuff nowadays, you can get a pretty good idea. Yeah. I'm rarely surprised anymore when I look at a place. So I got there, it looked good. And I said, yep, sounds good to me. We'll take it, had on it. So it had a lease until that ended in November. Well, mm-hmm. the ground right behind it that bordered it, the first piece was 350. The ground that bordered it had been for sale for years, but a fire went through there and a drought when they took pictures, like two years ago, they never updated the pictures. Mm-hmm. So I'm there and I'm like, oh, that's that farm for sale. It backs up to it and it looked better than the pictures. The pictures, it looked like desert, like it looked bad. So like, that farm looks pretty good and they were priced at about 2000 acre. So I thought, well, I got the piece beside and the piece I just bought looks so much nicer had cedar trees crp grass that was there the cows had tromped it down but you could tell it was gonna come back nice it had a big lake in the middle of it so i thought Mm -hmm. you know if i put them two pieces together the first piece i bought is going to bring the value of the other one up so much higher Mm -hmm. so we got the Mm -hmm. other one uh we just closed on it about a month ago and we paid about 1700 an acre for it so if i go out there and put up some tower stands put up some feeders some food plots hold it a couple years i think that property is gonna be worth you know high twos in my opinion so we'll do really well and enjoy it for a few years until we're tired of driving that far
0: yeah and even maybe even more because i think i feel that uh, this is me being candid is that kansas i think is going to see a major influx of -of out-of-state hunters buying recreational parcels and i think that we're obviously you could argue that that's happened for a long time but i think that's going i think that's getting accelerated much faster and wherever wherever we are at on the bell curve. We are definitely on the front end of the bell curve right now, and, and that's just my gut feeling. And I, I don't. Do you agree with that, or what are your thoughts?
1: Oh yeah, yep, I agree. That's why I'm buying there. But I, uh, <laughs> right. so many people, so many people are coming from the south. Like I've sold four yes. farms in Illinois, and every one of them, you know, is Florida, Alabama, Arkansas, come from the south. And the same way in Kansas, you know, people I've talked to in realtors, you know, it's out of state buyers. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I'm an hour from a pretty big, you know, airport where people can fly in and have a ranch and hunt. So. Yep, I I feel like they would rather just go there. You know, if they're going to travel that far, they're going to go somewhere where they can afford more ground for the same price. You know, because it's getting to where all you can afford in Illinois and Iowa is just like a hundred acres. It's getting so high in a lot of them better areas. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and if if someone's happy, this for example, like shoot a one fifty, it's like well you can spend two thousand dollars an acre to a potential shoot a one fifty, or you can pay five thousand dollars an acre to potential shoot a one fifty, and so like. Yeah. Think anyone with a uh, with a little bit of thought there well, you know where's the cost benefit of, of paying more to maybe shoot the same caliber of deer and so that, that the one thing that i find interesting with kansas is the the income so obviously here in illinois i mean with crp cash rent and everything else and, and even timber value is is substantially higher than what i would say kansas is just this is just me looking at it did these parcels have income or or is there a way to get income on that that you're considering
1: no i had a cattle lease but and it has like a 30 acre crop field, but the lease on it is so cheap. It's like $30 a year or $30 an acre. So it's not even hardly worth mentioning. I thought about maybe having somebody cut the hay off of some of the flat areas and getting a little income there. But I only look at the income on these properties when I sell them. Like I don't much about, usually if they have the income, they're going to sell so much higher. It's not even, you know, it's not even worth it. Now, one thing I do like about Kansas, I've looked into. To. If you had 1031 once or twice, flip a couple properties and you buy a piece in Kansas, Kansas wants to enroll stuff in WRP, uh, the Wetland Reserve Program, where Illinois, Missouri, you know, they got so many people lined up. It's hard to get in, but Kansas, they're like, yeah, we'll take you immediately. You know, we'll start paperwork. So if you flipped a farm once or twice and bought a big piece in Kansas that had the right soils, you could, you know, paying 2,000 to 3,000 an acre on WRP and you roll into it with some money down, you can pay your farm off. So that's mm. kind of what I'm looking for. I can't find the has the right soil to do that. And then, you know, if you can just flip once mm. or twice and then head to Kansas and get the right place, you know, they can enroll in WRP and just pay the farm off and then you're done. And then make it better for yeah. hunting anyways. Yeah. It may take some time, but you'll have a lot of cover then.
0: Yeah, you have a farm, you know, basically free and clear at that point. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Do you so think, that's, uh, that's one way of getting income. But as far as getting real crop money and CRP income stuff like that, I really don't look at it because it just costs so much more. I just look at mm-hmm. buying it for a really good price is what I worry about the most.
0: Yeah. Which is good to ask because I think that that question as a buyer from no matter where they're at, and it's probably just more prevalent, guys from the Midwest going to Kansas. But um, you know, to me, I think that's probably just one mental hurdle that people have is like, you know, you can spend, for example, a million dollars and get zero income, or you can spend a million dollars in a different state and get maybe a two percent return or three percent return. Um, yeah. but that's not your goal. Your goal is to, to enjoy it and hunt it and, and have fun and, yeah. and for, do that value add.
1: Yeah. And I've always went back. If I look at it, a, a good return, I don't find it in land. I just go, if I want to return, I just buy an apartment complex. And that's always my theory. True. Like <laughs> I don't, I don't plant walnuts in the bottoms and I don't do stuff so like that to get a return in 30 or 50 years. I just buy an apartment complex, you know, and I, yeah. I think separate, I guess. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think, yeah, it, it depends on what your goals are. And I think there's, there's some people that do buy a piece and they will hold it for 20 or 30 years and those projects do make sense. But you know, that's, that's definitely something to consider. Um, what do you, what, so, I mean, I think you kind of hit on some of this stuff, but what factors do you consider when identifying a potential land investment? Is it, it's simply just buying it right is, is kind of what I'm gathering.
1: Yeah. That's the first thing that I look at and I worry about the most is getting about bought right. You know, I'm not going to buy something that's been logged really hard. Like if it's in a Southern part of Missouri, that's not very popular. and It's been logged hard. You know, they're almost gonna have to give it to me before I'll buy it. Because if I don't get excited about a property, I'm not excited about it either, you know? Mm-hmm. So the main thing is just getting a good price on something that you can really turn into a nice piece of property for the next person. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Do you think, do you think that would be a potential good investment though, for the Southern part of Missouri, if it is that cheap or is the, is the, the hunting just not that great?
1: The hunting's okay, but it's just, I just don't like it. It's hard to really like something that's mostly rocks and it's been logged, you know, in my opinion. <laughs> you almost yeah i mean it's the same way
0: yeah logged with big deer okay i can look past that logged with no big deer all right that's gonna be (laughs) that's a tougher sell
1: for sure and you can sell it but it has to be cheap really cheap so
0: yeah yeah okay that makes sense what what are some misconceptions that you think people have with with buying and selling land like you use the term flip flip but you know that illinois farm for example you held that for three years which in the eyes of the IRS, that's a long-term capital gain, not short-term capital gain. So, like, do you? So, what? What's a misconception in your mind of investing in land? Do you think that people? Wh- I guess, what do you think? I don't want to put words in your mouth.
1: Uh, I think a lot of times people think maybe the older guys they think that land's gonna go down to like two hundred fifty dollars an acre they paid for in the seventies, and I just don't think <laughs> that's the case. Like, I, I think we're in history. We're at a time where, like, the amount of people we have and the amount of land we have is just continuing to pass each other to where I think land, you know, and maybe another 20 or 30 years lands gonna be so expensive. It's just going to be for the top 5% of people can afford it the way it's going. You know, if it keeps Mm -hmm. at this rate, uh, so I think some people screw up by thinking they're going to wait and everything's going to come down price. I don't see that happening. I could Mm -hmm. be wrong, but I don't see that happening.
0: Yeah. I think I read something might've been yesterday or two days ago. It's like, there's two types of investors, those that think they can time the market. And those who haven't figured out that they can't. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> it, like timing, timing the market's impossible based off of what every uh, savvy investor has ever done. But every person that's, I don't want to generalize. A lot of people think that you know they have this special power. They can magically time the market perfectly and they're going to be gazillionaires because they can do it perfectly. And if you look at just other successful people or other people who have done it, like you, for example, you started buying 2018 and you're buying just like, that was, that continued to what you could afford. Like it wasn't, you bought some, like you didn't buy anything in 2018 you're like oh, I'm going to wait till 2025 because that's when I think yep. things are really going to go down and so I yep. think that I think that some people have for sure. Yep. What, uh, yep. What's people a mistake wanna... that you've made? Go ahead.
1: No, never mind. It's fine.
0: <laughs> what's a mistake that you've made on one of these parcels? Maybe maybe you bought something and you thought you know you could get this out of it or you could do this to improve it and you're like well we didn't really do as well as we thought and this is what this is what went wrong or any other mistakes you can think? of?
1: I haven't made many really just because the market's been so good. Uh, the one mistake I didn't make early this year, I bought a big piece and I, that was the one on the river and I did really well. Well, they had another piece that went with it. And I said, well, I'll just buy that piece too. Cause this first one went so well. And I messed up there because it didn't have electric to it, the electric is about a mile away and it's expensive to run electric. So I bought it with my plan of putting a log cabin, all solar on it. Well, I get it bought, I get into it and I realize, I don't want to go to all the work. And I was like, well, I'll just sell it without doing the log cabin, you know, and solar and stuff. And I sat on that half the year. I finally got all sold and we did okay on it. But that was the biggest thing I did wrong was buying something this year that did not have electric to it. Mm -hmm. So utilities are very
0: important to you. Like now it's almost like they almost have to have utilities nearby is what I'm getting.
1: Yeah. And and this place ended up most of it sold to deer hunters. So they didn't care as much, but in this area, I'm like an hour and a half, two hours from, a, from St. Louis, a big city. So, most of these buyers are people looking for a weekend place they can put a cabin, come out. They're not necessarily hunters. They're just looking for a place to get outside. And mm-hmm. electric was a huge turnoff to all these people. You know, if I had electric there, it would have sold for a $1,000 an acre higher than what I sold it for. Wow. That's how much of a difference it made.
0: Would it have made sense to run electricity? Do you think you would have been able to make money if you did run it? Like if you could have made it a thousand more?
1: It probably would have been, been a close. wash, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And it's another thing too. You gotta get easements through these properties that run electric. And I just didn't <laughs> think that would happen either.
0: So. Yeah, you you know, even if you did, it would be a very long process, I assume, to to get that actually uh, there. Yeah. What was the what was the general budget of what you thought you could build a, a cabin hooked up with solar panels? I'm just curious.
1: Um, I was thinking I'd be like fifty thousand. I found some mennonites in Indiana that built log cabins. They look really cool, and they bring them out and set them up. And that was my plan. But at the same time i was selling another cabin on a little lake and it, it was selling like people are fighting over it it was selling so good but i didn't put it on a legit foundation and that was a huge mm-hmm. problem for everybody and so i decided i said oh, i'm not going to go throw all the work of pouring concrete and doing all that So we just because of financing sell it was
0: was the financing yeah. or was it as buyer's objective okay yeah
1: it was just financing interesting. yeah yeah interesting
0: so um what do you think for and so that project you ended up putting the cabin on that other piece then
1: well, we did it the first time and we sold it, but we had to have a cash buyer for it. And then, so we're in the middle of that, whenever I was getting ready to start this other project, and I said, you know what? I'm not going to deal with all that, you know, pouring mm-hmm. concrete doing all this stuff. We'll just sell it the way it is. And we made money on it. We just sat on it longer than I expected. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It really. Did you have to do, did you have to do price reductions like, to get it sold or did you just have it sit there like price? Cause that's the other thing too, is like, <clears throat> for example, I think there's this perception when like for for someone that's looking like, oh, you know, Flint just bought this property a year ago. He's going to make a bunch of money on this thing. But in reality, I think a lot of these folks that buy something and sell something, they're not looking to get the absolute top of market and they're wanting to move on with it. And I think, would you agree with that? Because that's a conversation I have. So-and-so bought it a year ago, two years ago. They think they're going to make a bunch of money on it. They may make some money on it, but it's almost like there's maybe a little bit more room for negotiation there than someone that this is their great-grandpa's farm and they held held it forever forever they had a, an agent listed and it's at the very, very top of the market and there's no room there. Or am I generalizing too much in your opinion?
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess it just depends on what the realtor is <laughs> telling them and, and what you, what you got into it, of course. Sure. And so
0: but, so to, to get that property sold, did you have to, did you have to reduce it or did you have to get creative or was it just a that you had to wait?
1: It was, we reduced it a little, but we mostly just waited. You know, it was, yeah. it was one of the deals I thought it would sell to more recreational people that wanted to build a cabin and that wasn't the case. So I went out there and put up food plots, put up some tower stands and it sold to deer hunters. Mm-hmm. So I should have done that from the beginning, but I knew the recreational people would pay more. So that's what I went with first. And I kind mm-hmm. of changed it up midway and went to the hunters again. So mm-hmm. that's what I had to do. But that was the only one I really sat on at all in the last few years.
0: What, what's something that you wish you would have done differently throughout this, let's say the last five years since you started buying real estate?
1: Uh, I definitely would have bought a lot more houses. I know that <laughs> the housing like, you know, almost tripled in value uh-huh. in the last five years here, probably. So I would have bought a lot more of those. But
0: why? Why is that? That part of Missouri too, because you hear like different hot markets, and in Illinois, you know, like our population is actually going down. Uh, I don't know. I'm not aware if Missouri is growing or shrinking. But <clears throat> do you think that's this lack of inventory is what drove that up? And obviously, the cheap money in 20 and 21
1: yeah yeah there's a lot of people moving here like those people that want the cabin like i had multiple people out of state wanting to just move this little cabin to live there so a lot of people covered it no one's really built around me in years since 08 you know it really hurt the contractors and no one's really built to keep up at all mm-hmm. and uh you know a little bit of both of them and it's just a shortage of housing is what it comes down to i think and no one's still building with the price of interest and the price of cost of building no one's still building anything to speak of so I'm still buying, I'm buying a lot of houses now just because I think the next few years they're going to keep on going up.
0: Mm -hmm. Have you, have you heard about uh, the potential legislation to have uh, basically hedge funds stop buying single family houses? Like they're trying to basically block BlackRock from buying more single family houses. I saw that maybe a week
1: or two ago. Uh, I've seen stuff about, I didn't know they're actually trying to stop it, but it's probably a good thing because it's crazy how much they're buying up. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Do you think that would impact your strategy if something like that did go through? Or do you think that it's still just that much of a shortage that you think it's still good, a good approach?
1: Uh, I think it's just that much of a shortage. You know, I mean, the people, people line up to rent, just rent in places, you know, and the rents are getting higher. And I just, I just think if I can buy a three bedroom house, full basement right now for a hundred thousand and rent it out for 1200 a month or 1500 a month, you know, even if I w- when I bought rentals five years ago, I just bought on cash flow. I wanted to buy stuff that made money every month. And if I would have just mm-hmm. bought on nicer places and nicer areas, I would have done way better than just worrying about cash flow. Mm-hmm. i am you know worry more about appreciation and uh, mm-hmm. not worry as much about cash flow.
0: Yeah, that's that's a really that's an really interesting takeaway from that. Cause I think that's a, do you think that's just a do you think that's just something that people getting started out, they they're so focused on cash flow just because they're getting started out and they maybe don't look down the road for appreciation? Because now you've seen appreciation firsthand. Yep. And now you're like, okay, I need to adjust my
1: strategy. Yeah, I went after cash flow because I was trying to get out of a job I didn't like, so I was just looking that's for a replacement income and it, and it worked. But if if I was if I was going to suggest <laughs> somebody that's starting, I would say do one for one, buy a place, a cheaper place. You know, some of it's probably never going to be worth a lot, but uh, it has cash flow, and then buy one that just pays the bills and a little extra. That's going to appreciate faster. I would do mm-hmm. half of each. If I was starting over again completely. Mm -hmm.
0: something i picked up here talking with you here today is you mentioned like the kansas farm's an hour away from a major airport the other farm was like two hours roughly from st louis how often is it important for you where you're looking to what's the nearest metro area or what is the buyer's pool or would you buy something in quite literally in the middle of nowhere and it's you know it's an hour and 20 minutes to the closest walmart
1: for yeah i'm just looking at houses yeah so I just, I look at all this, you know, the states kind of vary on the area. Like, you know, the stuff around Chicago is going to be way higher than the stuff in Southern Illinois. I just look at the areas generally what they're going for. And I look at what's a really good deal for that area. I don't look at, I don't try to go buy ground in the best part of Missouri, the Northeast corner of Missouri. I don't buy ground there unless it's a great deal because I know it'll probably appreciate the fastest, but I'm not too worried about appreciation. I'm more worried about force appreciating a property. So I don't Mm -hmm. worry too much about that. You know, and I wish I, you know, I mean, like the northeast corner of Missouri, it went from 3,000 an acre. The first firm I bought, I sold it for just under 3,000. And that was about four years ago. And now it's selling for six to seven. Mm-hmm. So it's went up that much. And if you had land there and you want to sit on a place and, you know, not think about selling it, just enjoy it. Then it's probably worth getting in the best parts of the state and let it appreciate mm-hmm. like good real estate will do. Mm-hmm. But I just buy, you know, what's a really good deal for that area. That's yeah. why I look for them up.
0: And, and do you think that's just because of your, possible holding period? Because it sounds like most of these pieces are, aren't like a 10-year or 20-year-old hold. Most of these sound like three to five years, roughly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the stuff like I got in North Missouri, the farm I plan on keeping, uh, I don't plan on selling it, but every day when I'm there working on it, I'm doing stuff to make it better. So if I would want to sell it or, or something happens to me and my family needs to sell it, then they're going to do good on it. Yeah. So wherever it is, I'm just adding value to the property I have. Mm-hmm. Do you, Why don't I think there's more people that do this? I don't know. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I don't know why more people don't sign up for it. But.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah. I think, do you think it's people are scared or the, it's the unknown or the, or the fear of things going wrong?
1: Or, yeah. I think it's just uh, you know, the fear of having a, a payment to make, you know, maybe their wife doesn't want to make the payment, you know, you know, they, they don't agree. That's a good deal. And it takes a couple of good deals for you're like, okay, this is a great thing to do. We do go. To, I mean, you make a bunch of money on your first property you own and have it a few years, enjoy it, and sell it. You're probably going to do it again. But if you never do it and and get to enjoy the property and then make money when you sell it, you know, you just you just got to get in there and see what it's all about. But it is scary for a lot of people to get started.
0: When you bought your first farm, did you? What was your what was your goal when you? So you just signed the purchase agreement. You just closed on it. You just went and did the first project on it knowing that was that something you thought you would keep for a really long time or or what was that what was your goals getting into land was it to do something similar to this or has it evolved over time
1: uh so my first farm we i always loved hunting but i never really had a great spot to hunt you know i grew up on a farm but it was a cattle farm so it wasn't great hunting so my goal was just have a good place to hunt and my family would have a good place to hunt so first year me and my wife built a house we paid for about half in cash and then so the next year we saved up what we made paid the house off and i said okay the next thing i want to do is buy a farm so i made like the best the greatest mistake i just opened up land watch one day found the cheapest farm in north missouri and bought it you know i went and looked i was like oh this looks good so i just bought it ended up it being in a great area and other people wanted it for the same pre- reason i wanted it It was north missouri not too far away it was two and a half hours from my house and i bought it just to have great hunting in and it was great for us we enjoyed it killed a couple bucks a year off it we had about five years while well, we had it, we added a cabin, added food plots, saved the trail camera pictures, never intended to sell it. We just, you know, made it better for us. And then we decided, hey, let's sell this, make some money and start buying rental properties uh, and kind of switch up to careers. That's why I sold it and made, and we made like $80,000 on that first farm we had. <clears throat> and that was just kind of your typical deal. Land was slowly going up in value. We did work to it, sold it, made some money. You know, that was kind of a typical property. You know, we bought it for a good price. The people were they come down some and it was just a, a good price back then, but it was just your typical deal. We enjoyed it added value and I sold it. And after I sold it, I was like, man, that was, that was pretty cool. Cool. Just making money on a farm after you're hunting it a few years yeah. and enjoying it. So, yeah. So we just kept doing it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. And, um, <clears throat> and also really cool. And I think that's, uh, it's like out of all the guests that we've had, it's almost the common theme was they wish they would have started sooner or they wish they just would have, you know, ripped the bandaid off and did it sooner. And, I th- and I think uh, yeah. you. Just, if you do, if you get in the first farm, right, and uh, you, it's just fun to have ground, like it sounds so dumb. It's like we're talking about how to make money or how to improve your whatever your goals are, but just working on the farm and hunting on your own dirt, like to me, there is a pure, a, a true value of that. Like peace and quiet is worth something to a lot of people, and so like to go and experience all that. Like, yeah, you can't put a dollar amount on it per se, but making memories of family—that's worth something. So it's like there's a lot of things that don't go into the spreadsheet that I think improve a lot of forms of your life. That's 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 uh, the non-math part of the brain talking.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. I, we got a farm up north Missouri, and uh, I try to go up there once every couple of weeks. If not, I get to missing it. So I'll go up there and do projects and. So like that, and I just enjoy working on the properties I have, and mm-hmm. it's been good to us.
0: What do you think? What's a mistake? Okay, so someone they bought a farm, and there are some projects they can do. And what do you think is um, what would be something you wouldn't spend money on to improve a farm? Like you talk about, like for instance, for a, a house, uh, there's a stat: garage doors are the highest ROI home improvement. It was also a garage door sales place that said that stats. So I don't know how true it is, but it stuck with me. It stuck with me. So there was that, or like the kitchen, or whatever the case may be. Like there's some areas in the house where it makes the most sense. Fresh paint is going to make a big impact. And then there's other forms where people do something to their house and they spend whatever on it. And there's not really necessarily a dollar for dollar return. What is a project for recreational land that you don't think is a dollar for dollar return or something that might not make sense from a math standpoint?
1: um i think the only thing i've seen that doesn't make sense is when people put big buildings like i've seen people put big shops on it i think they build them for themselves and they use them and like them but when they sell i've never seen that money really come back around on a big pole barn shout you know it's really worth it if you got a small hunting cabin or you turn a barn or something like that into a cabin but i think it's uh, that's where i've seen where people put the money into it that they don't get it out of Mm -hmm. anything else you do i would rather put my money into a building a lake on the property than a big building it seems like water just draws people you know, mm-hmm. but Bigger big pool building, buyers. Yeah, yeah, and you got to if you put in the amount of buyers that you're gonna have a place. You know, you really need to think mm-hmm. about the resale price and who can afford it. Mm-hmm. That'd so, be the only thing that really comes to mind. Mm-hmm. So uh, everything like, else you do, if you put in foods and stuff like that, you'll you'll be you'll come out on what you do there on that smaller type of stuff.
0: Mm, okay, that's good to know. What's the I can probably guess what this is, but what is the cheapest, cheapest, or free thing to do to improve the
1: value? I would say, I said this in the last podcast, but just saving all your trail camera pictures, you know, run cameras hard. Yep. You know, like that farm in Illinois, we didn't do anything to that, but just added a few small food plots and just kept really good trail camera pictures. And I mean, that basically sold the farm. It was not a real pretty farm. You know, you don't walk that farm and be like, man, I love this place. You know, part of his log, the rest of it was just swampy river bottoms, that's floods half the year. And it was not a real pretty place but the fact that we could prove it had big deer on it every year and we proved that we could kill them every year uh that added you know just for a few hundred dollars a year that's well worth that's that's the best bang for the buck i think
0: mm-hmm. so trail camera data keeping it and here's the thing too i think a lot of people as historical data has become way more impactful too as a buyer i would be excited if if i bought a farm from you and said here's the last three years of trail camp history here's a deer that he was three years old three years ago and he's going to be six this year and this is what he's done the last three years you're gonna have a higher odds to kill that deer as a new owner too and i think one of those like yeah some buyers might not take that into account but there's more and more of that wood and that's a free thing to do just to be organized on it
1: yep yep absolutely
0: That'd be a good, good closing gift. Here's the thumb drive of every single truck picture picture on this farm. Here, go have yeah. fun. Good luck.
1: Yeah. And I yeah. told that realtor, I said, the guys, if they buy it, I said, just tell them to call me when they, you know, tell me what deer they have on camera next year, middle of October. And I can tell you how to kill the deer. You know, we just hunted enough. You know, if you hunt this, these two food plots in the pinpoint, you're going to kill them. Just wait till the wind's right. Yeah. So, you know, and then I'd be happy to do that farm and, and help them get going because it was just a set kind of turnkey farm. Mm-hmm. yep trail cameras are by far the best thing to be doing it doesn't cost much and it's enjoyable just to save good records of all of them and i try to run a camera that has a good quality picture or put on video mode so you can kind of stop it and screenshot the picture you know and just kind of take it serious because if you're looking at two farms and the one is just a farm nothing's been done and another one has a proven deer history with with uh, property improvements you're naturally just going to go to the one that you know what's there
0: mm-hmm. yeah especially if they're price similar, if they're price similar too absolutely yeah yeah How, how do you approach, how would you suggest someone to approach risk management if they're just getting started? So like with you, I feel like you have a pretty good moat now with where you're at in the the portfolio you have, but for someone that's maybe has one farm or two farms, what are some things that you would tell them to consider from a risk management perspective?
1: Uh, I would just, like I've been saying the whole time, just buy it right. You know, like just spend your time learning the market, watching the market for six months, you know, and then when you buy it, you know, you got a good deal on it. So if you have to sell it, if you have to sell it fast because you get in a tight spot or you get hurt or something, you can sell it and get all your money back and then some, you know. Mm-hmm. If you go and buy the nicest farm in that county for top dollar because it has really big deer on it and you really think it's cool. If you buy that and you get in a tight spot, you're not going to sell it and you may be selling for a loss. As far as a risk mm-hmm. standpoint, I would say just, you know, just right would be the main thing. So if you need to sell it you can sickly and not get hurt at all on it. That would be, that'd be the first thing I would think of. Mm-hmm. But Another risk doesn't question to me get- too much, so.
0: Yeah, I think I I definitely can pick that up. <laughs> I mean, you like, you don't you don't, uh, you don't lose sleep over stuff too often <laughs> from what I can gather. Um, so, another question I get quite often and and this is so different, you know, depending where you're at in your real estate journey or where you're at in your land buying journey, but what what advice would you give someone that is looking to get their first land loan? And so or any other financing advice because it seems like you probably have a pretty good relationship with the bank you're at now. Um, and so a lot of these people, they're just now establishing, establishing a potential relationship for whatever business may come down the road for them.
1: Yeah. So what I did is I got, uh, started with a local bank, you know, and it's a small town, smaller bank, you know, they got a few branches and I stay with them and they just never told me, no, when I asked for more money. So I just stuck with them and I'm, they may not be the cheapest bank in town, but, but, uh, they're always, they'll always give me the money. And it's nice when you got a small bank like that, because. You go to wedding reception, you can drink beer with the bank president. So they know you, you know their kids. And it feels like if something would happen and you need a year, you know, if you get in a tight spot, you know, they'd be there to help you out and say, okay, you can we'll tack the payments on the back end of the loan. And if you need six months or a year or something, if you get in a tight spot. Where I never felt like you're gonna get that with a really big bank. You know, you're just a name on a piece of paper. Cause I've talked to them bigger banks before. So that's one thing I would do is just find a small local bank. Uh, and just get in with them good and just little relationship with a bank, because that's a big deal. If you're going to buy real estate, if your goal is to buy four or 500 acres one day and you're starting at 20 and you're going to flip a few times in 20 years together, which is very attainable, you're going to need a bank that, you know, says, yeah, you paid this back loan back and, and we're going to do it for you again, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's excellent advice. And um, you know, and those guys, they're, they're typically very sharp and it's good just to call them every now and then and say, Hey, what are you seeing? What's the activity been? And I just think you can learn a lot from a relationship like that and, and vice versa too. Um, so I'm sure they're asking yeah. you questions on what you're seeing and what, what do you think? Um, so that's, that's definitely a good piece of advice. Did you think when you started, when you started, when you bought your first piece of real estate, did you think all this was possible when you started?
1: Uh, I thought the rentals were possible. Cause it, to me, it's just like, well, if you can buy, get the money to buy another one, you know, that's why I got into rental properties because uh, it's just like, well, I get the money to buy, you know, I knew it was possible to own a hundred units one day or a thousand units one day. It's just a matter of doing the work. I never thought I'd be, you know, buying this much ground. You know, I didn't see that happening, but if you just stick with it and just keep looking for deals and keep working it, you know, it's, it's amazing. You know, like a typical person making 80,000 a year, if they just start with a 40 acre piece, you know, buy it right, do work to it. Make a plan and say in ten years I want to have two hundred acres. You know that first forty, make it nicer, and then sell it in a couple of years, make forty thousand on it. Do it again, make another sixty thousand on the next piece, and just slowly flipping bigger to so where your payments not going up a whole lot, but mm-hmm. you're getting a bigger piece every time you turn it over. So, mm-hmm. it's very attainable You just need to make a plan and and get after it. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think that's. You know, I think some when people hear that they think, yeah, you know, easy. You know, I, I just think it's 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 the unknown. People don't realize that it really is possible. And we've I've interviewed a lot of guests that have done a similar path to what you're discussing. And it's like, well, here's here's the proof. You know, it's like, yeah. Uh, I I I get the impression that none of these guys started with a giant advantage over you know the general population. So it's like, you know, if they could do it, I hope that the kind of the purpose of this podcast is to empower everyone to realize, like, hey, if this is really a goal, or you really want to do this here's other people that have done it and here's how they did it. And I think, uh, it's cool that you, you kind of share your story here on this because it's, it's definitely inspiring and really cool just to see someone go out and win and, and do what they want to, you know, what their goals were and the goals evolved. And that's the fun part of this. Like the process of all this is so fun. Uh, I'm sure for you, like looking for farms, i like, it's, it's almost a form of hunting and it's a form of just constantly learning. And, uh, it's like, I personally like, okay, I've memorize this part of Illinois. Like, all right, now I'm going to go memorize this part of the country, go memorize this part of the country and just continue to learn. And to me, that's fun. I might be weird for that, but I have a feeling you're kind of the same way.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. I love it. I can hunt deer for two months straight, but after that I get pretty bored or I'm ready to go back to work, but I can look for deals on land every day and never yeah. get tired. So I love it. So it's easy for me because I love doing it.
0: Do you, I assume you is so, I, I bet you look at land watch, probably realtor Zillow. Is there any other places where you look every day?
1: No. So I hit like three places a day. So I'll look at Zillow. Uh, The state of Missouri and Zillow, and that kind of catches the small town real estate realtors that just have a little shop, you know, that just throw it on Zillow, that wouldn't put it on the bigger thing. So I look at Zillow. Mm -hmm. I look at Landwatch. I like Landwatch because I can filter it. Price breaker, the lowest. So I'll check out like once a week, what's the lowest in this part of the state. But Mm -hmm. I also check it every day on what's new. So I know every day what came on the market Mm -hmm. and, you know, what's So every day I'm looking at the state and seeing what's for sale and what's listed at. And Mm -hmm. so- I look at those two, and I look at a couple other sites for housing, you know, for houses and apartments for them. But the main two is Zillow and Landwatch for just checking, looking for properties every day.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're exactly right because I know, you know, you're. To get on Landwatch is expensive for like to be on the on the front page or front and center. And then like the guy that maybe only sells two pieces of of land a year, he's not gonna go do that. And they're just gonna be on Zillow yep. and then vice versa. Some people on Landwatch aren't gonna be on Zillow. So yeah, I do That's definitely a good tip there. Um anything else you can think of or like any any bold bold takes for 2024 or, or any personal goals of what you're what you're hoping to achieve.
1: Nope. Just, uh, just hunting for deals. Uh, I'm pretty happy with what we got. We, you know, we got our farms in Missouri about paid off We got the farm in Kansas. We sold the one in Illinois. So nope, mm-hmm. just looking, uh, looking for deals. I enjoy doing it. And so, yeah, always looking, you know, just kind of moving money around, kind of learning how to do that, you know, 1031 and, you know, from apartments to land and or whatever you're doing to save on taxes there because that's such a big cost. Mm-hmm. But this year it's, it's just been tough this year with the interest so hot, you know, you can think you're going to make a bunch of money on a property, but if you're paying 60000 a year in interest, that profit goes away pretty quick. So you really got to have a, a good deal on something.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and that's where I think uh, a lot of buyers guys, I talk about this with the podcast throughout the year, but it's like the guy that was shopping, let's say in 21, land, land was too expensive. I put air, air quotes <laughs> there and then they wait until 2023 and it's like, well, land didn't really drop hardly at all. Maybe a, a point or two, depending on what part of the country. And your payment went up probably eighty percent. So what you can yep. afford is substantially less. So I think if rates do end up dropping, then hopefully that person can can figure out like okay, well, land seem, seems to be pretty stable. And to your point, like I think the there's two themes that, that I picked up this past year on the land podcast. Number one is um, just just do it, <laughs> Like as as uh, as elementary as that is. And number two is like don't overpay, get a get a solid deal. You don't you don't have to steal the farm. You don't have to get the best deal ever but get something that is a good deal and something that if you want to do projects, you can't do. So that's, that's been, that's been the takeaway there, but it'll be fun. It'll be fun to see what 2024, uh, what happens. And, um, you know everyone's going to ride the same wave no matter what like we're all playing in the same sandbox whether like interest rates are high unless you're a cash buyer interest rates are high for everyone <laughs> so that's yeah. the that's the thing there where everyone i think sometimes thinks their their battles are are uh, just unique but uh, we're all kind of dealing with the same thing here but um well no i really really appreciate your time here and i can't remember is there is there um any place where people can follow with what you, what they with what you have going on or a place where they can hit you with some questions if they want to, or, or if not, I can get your email and pass it along, however you want to.
1: Hang. Yeah. You can pass my email along. Um, I just got Facebook, but I don't get it on very much. So you can shoot me a message through Messenger If you have a question, but that's about it. I, uh, I don't have much on my phone, so I don't waste time on my phone. So it's wise. Not that's much awesome. there.
0: Well, I really appreciate it, Flint. Um, I hope you have a great Christmas. hope you have a great, uh, 2024. We'll have to stay in touch.
1: Yep. You too, Jake.
0: I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you did, All those written reviews really mean a lot and helps us reach new people. So if you enjoyed the episode, you learned something, please leave a written review. We would greatly appreciate it. And as always, this isn't financial advice, but it's some stories from people who have done it and some things that they've learned. So as always, do your own due diligence before you make any big decision. And I hope this is just a springboard for whatever your goals are. Hope you guys have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you in 2024.